The Future Works, a podcast for workforce professionals hosted by me, Melinda Mack. I was catching up on some report reading recently and came across a report by Measure of America called The Disrupted Year. It's focused on the impact of COVID-19 on the connection of young adults ages 16 to 24 to school and work. If you haven't had a chance to read it yet, I strongly suggest you grab the link in the overview of this episode of the podcast. The report shares that in October of last year, the Census Bureau released data showing that 2020 school enrollment levels among people under 35 was at a more than 20-year low, at 52%. For youth ages 16 to 24, this translates to over half a million fewer students enrolled in high school and college in 2020. Now, if you work in the community college space or work in K-12, this might not be a surprise to you, as you know, campuses are struggling with enrollment. However, if you're like me, your first thought might have been, well, maybe those young adults were working. However, 3.7 million fewer youth were employed in July of 2020 versus July of 2019. So Measure America did some math, and this translates to about 12.6% of young adults ages 16 to 24 across the U.S. who are considered disconnected from school and work. They're also known as opportunity youth. That's over 4.8 million young adults who are, again, not working and not in school. So for some perspective, that's just about the entire population of the states of Maine, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and Vermont. And as referenced prior to COVID, that estimate was around 10%, which was the lowest disconnection rate in decades. Meaning at this point, we've probably lost about a decade's worth of progress in getting young adults back to school and back to work. Unfortunately, the burden of COVID-19 has only made the problem worse. It has fallen disproportionately on low-income communities of color, which are also disproportionately home to the highest rates of youth disconnection. Again, Measure of America disaggregated by race and ethnicity, and Native American men have the highest rates of opportunity youth, followed closely by Black men, Native women, and Black women. Asian youth have the lowest rates of disconnection. So also in the report, Measure of America provided a couple of really handy charts one that ranks states um, based on the number of opportunity youth. So the, the lower the number, that means the lower amounts of opportunity youth you have in your state. But they also looked at the top 100 metro areas uh, with the most opportunity youth. So if we look at New York, New York ranked 35th amongst its peers with 13.6% or 291,000 opportunity youth. And again, going to those top 100 metro areas, um, as we would expect, um, New York City is certainly on the list. But so is the Capital Region, Syracuse, Rochester, Buffalo, and Niagara Falls. And coming in with the highest rates are Poughkeepsie, Newburgh, and the Middletown Metro. So it's not just a big city issue. It's a mid-sized city issue as well. And if you read the full report, you'll see that it also is a significant issue in rural communities as well. So Measure of America has been tracking um, the opportunity youth and disconnected youth crisis for a long time. Um, and beyond employment and education, they have found that the stable there's some stability in the issues these young adults are facing. Um, they're twice as likely to live in poverty, 
these young adults are three times as likely to have a disability, twice as likely to be living apart from both of their parents, 20 times as likely to live in an institution, and eight times as likely to have dropped out of high school. Disconnected young women are four times more likely to be mothers than connected young women. So they do require a different set of solutions than what you would provide to a young adult who is still connected to work or connected to school. We know that organizations across New York and the country are looking for solutions to support opportunity youth. So for this episode of The Future Works, we're going to be speaking with our friends from California at the New Ways to Work and California Youth Opportunity Network to hear how they are collaboratively making real progress on this issue for thousands of young adults in California. So with that, we hope you enjoy today's episode. today with our colleagues from the West Coast, uh, Melanie and Robert. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Opportunity Youth and how they're working together across many partners to meet the needs of young adults across California. So Melanie, why don't you introduce yourself before we hop into some of our conversation? Absolutely. Thanks so much, Melinda, for having us. I'm Melanie Ferrer-Vaughn with the Opportunity LA Opportunity Youth Collaborative. We are a collective impact initiative um, that spans across well over almost 100 organizations, and we work together to improve education employment outcomes specifically for transitional age youth. So under the Opportunity Youth Umbrella, we do focus on transitional age youth. And what ages are, are those, Melanie? There's different definitions um, for different folks. It could be 14 to 24, 16 to 24. We kind of look at the 16 to 24 range. Great. And Robert, do you want to introduce yourself as well? Sure, and thank you again for having us uh, here. Uh, my name is Robert Sines. I'm the executive director of an organization called New Ways to Work, and we're also a partner with the California Opportunity Youth Network, uh, COIN. All right, so speaking of COIN, the California Opportunity Youth Network, how did it get started? You said there's over 100 organizations involved. Um, how has it evolved over time? Um, with a recognition that I'm sure when you all got around a, a giant table, it must have been, um, to have this, these initial conversations, um, some of the work has likely shifted a bit. Although, again, if you're working with opportunities, a lot of the challenges still remain the same. So give me some of the history of, of COIN um, and who are some of the anchor partners that you work with. Sure. So COIN actually has its origin uh, uh, with the Aspen uh, Institute. And uh, uh, they brought together uh, organizations across the country uh, that were working with uh, out-of-school youth, disconnected youth, opportunity youth. Um, and during their gatherings, um, the California contingent of, of uh, agencies that were working in places uh, like San Diego, Los Angeles, uh, Oakland, and a couple of the rural communities uh, came together and established a network. So it started very informally about five years ago. Uh, and they came out with a terrific name uh, that they called the California Opportunity Youth Network, uh, COIN. Uh, but it was much more of an informal organization uh, with the emphasis to share best practices, share communication, um, uh, and then actually uh, uh, 
they decided to work on policy issues. Um, so uh, my colleagues uh, who were the initial founders of, of COIN really identified that in California, there was not a one organization that was spearheading the opportunity to use um, uh, issues. Many different organizations working on it, but it collectively didn't have uh, a, a true impact. So through that, you know, kind of humble origins uh, five years ago, there was eight sites that actually decided to form uh, this network. And uh, uh, through the eight sites, uh, Los Angeles Opportunity Youth Network uh, that Melanie uh, represents uh, really became uh, the uh, largest and, and probably the most uh, uh, local uh, uh, of, the, of the eight organizations. But they really did provide a great example. Uh, last year, uh, COIN uh, uh, connected to uh, my organization, uh, New Ways to Work, to really provide the administrative and management support to really make it a fully functional uh, organization. So in this last year, we have spent a lot of time uh, developing uh, uh, an infrastructure to be able to uh, share information. But we've had some really major uh, policy gains uh, in, in, in this past year. And it was really through that you know, collective uh, power that we were able to get a federal waiver uh, that allowed uh, WIOA dollars uh, to be spent for in-school in system kids. And we could talk about that a little bit later. Uh, and we've co-sponsored three major uh, uh, legislative bills that are currently being heard uh, in the legislature to bring more resources to uh, young adults um, in our communities. And then lastly, uh, which has been our really uh, an emphasis, is organizing uh, new communities uh, up and down the state uh, to be a, a part of this network. So it sounds like it just started off again as folks sharing, what are you doing? Here's what I'm doing. Did this work for you? This is something <laughs> we're trying, right? And then it evolved into, hey, you're having this problem? So am I. Maybe there's a way we could uh, create a policy change around it. Um, and then I'm sure other folks are sort of chomping at the bit to be part of this network because it sounds like it's not only an incredible set of resources, but an incredible set of, of people working towards the same outcomes, which is always helpful, as you know, in the field of workforce development, uh, to be able to have yeah. colleagues and partners to turn to, to test your ideas, to ask if you're being crazy or not crazy enough um, in terms of some of the, the you know, outcomes you're looking to pursue. Um, I, I do want to level set just quickly, though, in terms of the opportunity youth situation um, in California. What was the, how many opportunity youth were there estimates pre-pandemic and how about post-pandemic? And ultimately, how has the pandemic really impacted young adults um, who fit this category? Sure. Um, so, uh, oh, go ahead. Robert, Melanie was going to grab that one. Okay, great. Oh, awesome. And I think, Melinda, just to add a little bit more to kind of what Robert was saying, right, the work that COIN is working on is really scaling the work that um, the Los Angeles Opportunity Youth Collaborative has done. But I, I do want to make sure that we give a shout out also to our Los Angeles Performance Partnership Pilot, also known as LAP3. And so for folks who are not familiar, um, the city of LA was awarded the Performance Partnership Pilot designation in 2016, which brings intergovernmental cross-sector initiative on improving workforce education, housing, and social well-being um, outcomes for opportunity youth and systems involved youth in LA. And so because of the, the work that, um, 
that we're talking about really, uh, again, that's being scaled for COIN. The work that we did in, here in LA is really attributed to what the LA Opportunity Youth Collaborative and LAP3 has done. This, These two initiatives kind of came together to say we have a shared agenda. Uh, Yes, we're going crazy, like you said, and we're also figuring out what to do to push um, push the needle for our young people. And so I just want to make sure to add that to what um, Robert has already mentioned, because I think um, this this uh, predates my time joining the work, but definitely want to honor the work that is done and, and showing the power of um, intergovernmental, private, uh, and public sector. And I think the role of the OIC has been able to be a neutral intermediary to bring everybody to the table in order to um, kind of move, move our agenda forward. So wanted to add that in addition to that to give context to where COIN is inspired by. That's super helpful. Thanks, Melanie. Um, so to go back to the question, Robert, which you were starting to jump into around pre-pandemic, how many opportunity youth were there? Um, post-pandemic, not post-pandemic, I guess, in the pandemic now, how many um, opportunity youth are there? What, how has is, how is the pandemic really impacted this population? Uh, the pandemic uh, really magnified uh, the issue. So the young people that weren't doing well uh, 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 pre-pandemic uh, and the, uh, across the country, uh, but really, you know, concentrated in high urban areas and, and, and rural communities, um, when the pandemic hit, if they, the young people that weren't doing well uh, uh, continued uh, to not do well and uh, to have uh, an even harder time uh, uh, coming into the workforce and into um, uh, educational opportunities. So the pandemic not only uh, uh, magnified the numbers, but also really shone a light on who was truly disconnected. Um, and it, the access to workforce uh, and the access to education, of course, was always the issue. But the other issues that were also uh, now coming to light was the severe uh, mental health and social service uh, needs that uh, were not being addressed. Um, and so, unfortunately, uh, young people who weren't doing well pre-pandemic ended up doing worse you know, uh, post-pandemic. In terms of numbers in, in uh, California, uh, the number post-pandemic uh, is 12.3%. And this is uh, you know, some great uh, research that is uh, out of Measure America. But with that 12.3%, actually translates into 562,000 young people in the state of California uh, who are not at school and not at work. And th that half a million young people um, are not a part of the economy in a true sense, and their future prospects are truly gonna be hampered if they don't reconnect. Uh, so we, we just know that you can't have a fully functioning an equitable economy if you have nearly a half or over half a million uh, young people in California not connected. The other issue is that the vast majority of these young people uh, are young people of color uh, uh, with uh, uh, Native American and African American youth having the highest percentage, uh, Latino kids having the largest number 
uh, but it, it, it affects all communities, but in particular affects uh, young people of, of color. Mm-hmm. Now, the work that we had done in Los Angeles pre-pandemic is that uh, 15 years ago, uh, we were at nearly 20% of young people that were disconnected within the city of Los Angeles. Um, and a decade and a half of work, uh, we were able to bring that number down you know, closer to the national average, uh, right around 10%. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, uh, as the pandemic hit, you know, that number nearly doubled back. Uh, and so it was almost, as uh, Measure America calls it, a decade undone. Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately, uh, as the recovery has happened, um, you know, folks have been reconnecting, but still the numbers are much higher than they were um, uh, pre-pandemic. Yeah. Lonnie, anything to add to that? What you're yeah, saying? I mean, Robert has definitely covered uh, it all, but you know, if we look at what's happened Again, shout out to Measure America and the data that they've collected. Um, if we look at the Great Recession, we were at about, I think, one in seven or one in seven in 2010 and then one in nine youth across the country. And um, in that decade and done presentation that Measure America provided, they were thinking about one in four and one in six. So like Robert said, I think that the title is fitting that Measure America provides is that a decade has been undone. And even more so, um, right, economic stability and economic opportunity is, is more important than ever. Um, and there are just several impacts that young people are experiencing, but it isn't, it's not an individualized um, one person, right? An opportunity youth, is not, it's not because of one person. This is due to our system. And in the, it's a systemic issue that we're, we, we need to be addressing. So. Yeah, it's so hard, especially to, um, we do this in New York, it's unbundling the systemic issues that are happening in the infrastructure of the system, as well as meeting the immediate needs of people who are coming through the workforce development system, um, but also bringing policymakers along to recognize that undoing this, you know, systemic racism, and also more importantly, really untangling in some ways public policy that has actually kept people poor or actually been detrimental to someone's ability to succeed, um, it's really hard. It's really hard work. Um, And so I really commend you for it. And again, Robert, just the fact that you're able to, in 10 years, to cut it in half is amazing. Think about all those young adults who had an opportunity that they didn't have because they were able to engage with some of the work that you're doing. Um, This leads me to um, the Bay Area Transition Age Youth Workforce Initiative. what is it? What is it? What's it trying to accomplish? Um, what are some of the early successes so far? I mean, again, just reading up on it prior to the call, it seems like it's a pretty cool um, sort of uh, collaboration, again, uh, focused specifically on, on transition age youth. So, uh, and, and thanks to uh, the Walter S. Johnson Foundation and, and Tipping Point, um, they saw the success that we had in Los Angeles that we really did use an inside out uh, and outside in you know uh, perspective of, of utilizing the workforce development system as a huge strategy to connect young people back to school and work. So they had asked uh, us to submit a proposal about what can we do in the Bay Area of increasing the number of young adults who were coming from the foster, probation, and homeless systems in workforce uh, development uh, programming. And 
as you know, nationally, most workforce boards uh, do have trouble recruiting and retaining young people coming from these systems. And if you look at the numbers nationally, uh, it's highly underrepresented, even though uh, young people coming from the foster system, probation system, home system have the highest rates of unemployment and disconnection. So in Los Angeles, we had a very uh, intentional and, and purposeful uh, uh, um, connection, you know, to these particular populations. So the Bay Area Transition, uh, uh, or as we call BETE, uh, uh initiative was was now being able to take the lessons learned uh, that that we had in Los Angeles, and also the best practices that were happening in the Bay Area. But there's a lot of good things that are happening there. Uh, and how do we could how can we bring that together and share those lessons? And so uh, we've been engaging, you know, all ten workforce boards. Um, because we got the waiver passed uh, 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 earlier um, uh, this year, uh, we've been able to bend uh, technical assistance to them. Uh, and eight uh, of the 10 uh, uh, workforce boards did sign up uh, to be a part of the waiver or, or going to be a part of it uh, coming this July. Um, and what that waiver does, it allows the workforce boards to reduce its out-of-school youth funding uh, to 50% because they have a 75% requirement, uh, but that delta, that 25% uh, that they're able to now focus on in-school foster probation and homeless youth. And we thought that was extremely important because now we are able to intervene while the kids are still in school and knowing that they have the highest you know, disconnection rates, it, it could be a, a much more preventative effort. So that was our first initiative, was to get the waiver passed and implemented in the Bay Area. And right now we are also working with five of the boards to uh, address a specific uh, issue or a, a, a special initiative that they would like to be able to do to increase the numbers of uh, foster probation and homeless youth in the formal workforce development system. So, you know, part of that process is really of kind of assessing the needs and, 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 and what is the data for their local communities, and then to set goals about how many young, more young people they want to uh, uh, enroll and serve coming from these particular populations. So that, that's the Bay Tay initiative in, in, in the short uh, uh, description. I also love that it's shortened to Beite. <laughs> it sounds like a delicious, uh, like Mai Tai, like a delicious drink of some sort. Yeah. Um, uh, so as part of um, the California Opportunity Youth Network, um, y'all recently released an action guide around expanding workforce and career development pathways for opportunity youth. Um, can you talk a little bit about the purpose of the guide and who you want to be using it? Um, again, if you flip through it, there are some incredible frameworks in terms of how you think about making decisions, how you convene people. Um, but I'd love to hear from your experience, Melanie. I'm sure, again, you were coming in in this initiative and probably the tail end of seeing some of this implementation. Um, what do you think folks will see when they see this guide and how will they use it? Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a guide that I think, again, folks have really put their heart and, and soul into to share what our wins are and the 
guide itself outlines what are the conditions that kind of what, what was our recipe for success and how do we copy the recipe maybe but change the ingredients or change the spices and wherever your lay of the land is. Um, and I think that really is this is just inspiration to folks and I'll allow again Robert to um, to, to share as well, because I know he and my other colleagues are big authors of the guide, but really sharing with other folks in the workforce development boards and workforce development systems to say, how, how do we do this and how do we do it cross-sectorally in a way that is um, that everyone is bought in to doing it? And how do we get the partners to do that? Uh, so it really is for, for, for folks to gain inspiration on how um, to build a system for opportunity to make sure youth are involved. I think that's something worth mentioning that we're really big on with LA Opportunity Youth Collaborative is making sure that youth with lived experiences are involved in the planning and kind of picking out the pieces that are that are really integral um, to making a successful um, workforce and career development opportunities for opportunity youth. Um, well, Robert, I'm sure you emphasize having, I love that you emphasize having young adults um, be part of the process because um, I remember probably 10 years ago now, just when like the SMS texting texting was hitting, everybody was buying it and using it to, you know, blanket young adult cell phones uh, with text messages. And then I, one of our members sat down with the young adults and they're like, we hate it. We hate that that's how you're communicating with us. You know, you're blowing up my phone. I have barely any data already. And this is how you're choosing to like, <laughs> and again, it just as a reminder that we have like these assumptions and assumptions are always never the way to create program or policy. And so talking to young adults about what they need, um, I think is so important. Um, Robert, go ahead. Sure. And, and so the guide was um, developed with the, real with the real purpose was to share uh, lessons and to share insights. And it hopefully uh, will be used with workforce boards and community-based organizations and schools and local communities uh, to, to see it as uh, lessons learned. And, and you don't have to start from scratch. Um, we're probably the only field of workforce development that every time we want to start a new initiative uh, or program, we start with a blank wall. And uh, uh, and and then we try to you know imagine what we uh, what we want, but it, you know it's kind of like if you're building an airplane, you know uh, if you're going to do a, a new airplane, you don't go back to the Wright brothers, you know uh, framework and the original airplane. You use some, the the lessons learned and the modern technology and the modern. Um, um, uh, information or the current information, you know, to actually have a modernized system. But workforce, we tend to you know, kind of not do that. Uh, uh, so, so the guide was really was a, uh, an ability to document uh, the lessons learned, things that we did right, some of the things that we didn't do so right, uh, but also to be able to share it with our colleagues. So that way, when they have the discussion, and uh, I'm actually sitting here, you know, after a two-hour meeting with a with the local city in Los Angeles County who's going to start a, a, a new youth initiative. And we're using the lessons of, of the guide, in essence, to build their program. And they're going to be able to stand it up you know, in a very short time um, with uh, some proven methods uh, rather than uh, starting from scratch. And so that's how we are, we're hoping the guide uh, uh, could be used. And it really is from a practitioner's uh, perspective. Um, 
I spent uh, 16 years, you know, running the city of LA's uh, workforce development system. And so there was, like I said, a lot of things that we did well. There were a number of things we didn't do so well, you know. And and so how do you uh, take those lessons and how do you apply them in your in your local area? The partnership piece is it, it just critical. Uh, the way that you know the the most of the federal dollars and youth dollars, uh, uh, youth workforce dollars come in, you know, comes through the through the states to local communities and through you know generally a government infrastructure. There's some you know nonprofit infrastructure with a ton of regulations and the things that you can't do. Then you have the community uh, who is really advocating for these young people and want to see things happen, like the Children's Alliance in, in Los Angeles. And when we were able to match the resources that we have through the city government with the great advocates like the Children's Alliance and all their partners, then we were able to actually get things done um, and, 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 and done in a way that was authentic to the community, uh, uh, but also in a, in a way that was inclusive. Um, and we invited you know, our, our government partners, our public sector partners, our philanthropic partners, our community partners to a very large table. And it continued to have conversations of how to apply the resources and we held ourselves accountable and and we implemented you know a, a lot of good practices that at the end result uh, that we were able to leverage uh, we had funding for about 2200 WIOA um, uh, uh, youth for the whole city but we served over 7000 uh, because we were able to leverage the resources um, that, uh, of everybody uh, at the table. And we were That's able amazing. to uh, quadruple the number of foster and probation and homeless youth that we were serving under the WIOA system in about three years. Uh, because again, you know, we were very targeted, we were working together, and we had uh, 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 the strategy that, you know, coupled the public workforce system with the community advocacy and the community implementation. That's great. And uh, the fact that you're able to work through egos that tend to come with partnership and personalities, um, I think, again, as something, as someone who's done this work for a really long time, I know that that tends to be what kills many of these things, it's not for lack of ideas or lack of, of commitment to the cause. It tends to be ego and personality. And so the fact that you've been able to in some ways, hash this out at a relatively large table and still remain inclusive, but also then have the forethought to sit down and actually write down, okay, this is how we did it. This is a framework. If you want to try it, these are some bumps in a road you might hit, and here's how we would solve for those. Um, I think is, again, it's pretty amazing. Uh, for folks who are listening, we will actually uh, take that uh, uh, document, include it in the uh, sort of description of this podcast so you can download it um, and take a look at it for yourselves. All right, so last question. Um, again, thinking about big ideas, as we know, WIOA or the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act is up for reauthorization. Um, what are some of the most influential federal or state policies that you think would or could support opportunity youth? Things that we should be thinking about um, as we go into WIOA reauthorization or as we're engaging with our state legislatures? So uh, I'll uh, take the first stab, and then Melly uh, could give a, a community perspective uh, uh, on it. 
but the large scale uh, issues on wheel reauthorization that to me should be just no no brainers is, is the self uh, attestation um, in in enrollment um, the current paperwork and, and documentation required for young adults, especially the population that it's intended to serve, are the folks that have the least access to that information and documentation. So ask a homeless kid to bring their parents' uh, um, um, uh, tax returns in, in in order to start the documentation. Uh, so WIOA, especially the WIOA youth, it has been more of a system of exclusion rather than inclusion. And we exclude the kids because we've set up these documentation requirements right at the forefront and, and people don't provide any services uh, until they actually get the documentation and they don't come back with that documentation. So when I work with communities now uh, throughout the country, I ask, I always ask them about that enrollment process. And you know, nine out of 10 will say, well, we start with the documentation and, and and until we get all the documentation, we don't start them in the program. And then I ask about their numbers, and their numbers are usually in single digits uh, uh, because it stops right there. We stop these kids at the door. So we owe a reauthorization. Number one, it needs to have self-attestation that a young person can come in and say, I need these services. Yes, I am homeless. Yes, I'm foster. Yes, or whatever the, the barrier is. And let's get them into program and get them into services. I think you know it's always done to protect um, documentation you know, against fraud and so forth. Yes, we understand that, but I do think that if we open that piece up, you know, you don't have kids from Beverly Hills, you know, knocking on uh, youth source center doors you know, to say I want you know, workforce services and a subsidized job. It's just that doesn't happen. Again, if you, get a, if you get a young adult who's knocked on your door for anything. <laughs> right? You need to open that door and make sure that they're there and can participate that day because um, very rarely yeah. do young adults just walk through the door knowing exactly what they need. So I'm with you, exactly. Robert. So that's number one. The, the, the second piece that they added into this year is the requirement for states to have a plan. Uh, to me, uh, it's criminal that we don't require uh, our states uh, in the state of California, there is no youth plan for disconnected or opportunity youth. Um, so right now, you know, there's a giant plan that goes in on uh, we owe reauthorization and um, for um, uh, uh, submission of the workforce plan. But there is no requirement that they actually provide a very specific strategy for the young adults. And, and so the current uh, um, reauthorization that's on the table right now does, uh, uh, does um, require that states have a comprehensive integrated plan. And that would actually now bring resources together and have them uh, focused on serving these young people. I completely agree. And you know, it's interesting, I think too, in looking at the, the potential of WIOA reauthorization. I think not on the plan, but like the coordination between WIOA Title I and Title II, especially when we're thinking about um, you know, post-secondary and, and um, adult education that many young adults need in terms of basic literacy and numeracy um, or ESL. Um, but also the, I think one of the spots that I feel like was just a total missed opportunity under WIOA was the pre-employment transition stuff under access VR or in our state access VR, it's vocational rehabilitation, right? Like, you know, VR has to spend 15% of their money helping young adults 
transition into employment or into something post-secondary related. And we just can't figure out how to coordinate in a way that makes sense. And I think that there's, again, so much more opportunity for that and forcing some of the folks at the state to sit down and hash it out and write it, write it down, I think is really helpful and important for the local workforce field. Melanie, how about you? What do you think are some of the big ticket state or federal or even local policy ideas? Yeah, I think in addition to kind of what we've been building on, right, we're talking about young people who have been heavily impacted the decade and done. It just, it's just a powerful statement, right? So much has been undone. And as we think about comprehensive um, systems and supports for young people and the workforce really being integrated to kind of education, healthcare, and human services, I think as we get young people to the table, one thing that we have been talking about a ton and I know is on COIN's um, radar is really ensuring that young people have um, access to high road programs or opportunity opportunities to um, land um, livable wage employment opportunities right and so I know when we heard actually at our um, at our webinar for the the guide a young person talked about the importance of getting subsidized work experience great and then also what happens after that um, um, and how do we make sure and ensure that young people are being matched to a program or to an employment that they are interested in and that 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 they're thinking of long term right otherwise it feels like patchwork otherwise it feels um like we've just put them into a program but then to what end and really thinking about a young person how, how do we make that really um youth oriented our work youth oriented not to just put them through a program but to put them into a career journey or an exploratory journey to say hey you've done this this workforce program and then you are going to be in healthcare like you said you were interested in or maybe you said healthcare but actually you changed to tech or whatever it may be um making sure that our programs are are youth friendly in that sense and 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 really youth centric to make sure that um high road programs are accessible to them. You're, I think you're hitting like such a, a important and crucial point. Um, you can create a workforce program where you have someone, as one of my colleagues used to say, sweeping leaves from one end of a county to the next, right? Mm -hmm. And that would be considered a paid work experience. But to what end, right? Is this person going to be able to get into a good or better job after having that work experience? Um, and it's so hard, I think, in terms of like, pulling the systems together where you're thinking about the K-12 system with the workforce system, with the actual work environment and employers to bring that work together. So the fact that that's something that's on your radar and something that you guys are working toward, I think is really great because ultimately, you know, you want a young adult to use this as a opportunity to explore, right? I don't think any of us would have thought, oh, you know where I'm gonna end up? I'm gonna end up in workforce development someday. <laughs> we probably tried lots of different things before we got here. Um, and it's okay if you change your mind about your careers. Um, we're having that conversation with my, my uh, niece who's going away to college this year. Because uh, it's true, like you might get there, you might hate it. And that's okay. It's totally fine to change your mind. Better to change it earlier versus later, but it's totally okay. fine to change your mind. Well, listen, this has been amazing and so enlightening. And um, I can't wait to go back now that I've had this context to look back through um, the COIN report. Um, but also uh, the Measure America report that you've all described, um, it sounds like it's will be a depressing read, but something that's also really enlightening and important. Um, and we will make sure we get that out um, to the listeners and to our members as well. So thank you to Melanie and Robert. Thanks so much, Melinda. Thank you. Did you like what you listened to? You can download previous episodes at our website, niatep.org or on Apple or Spotify.